Latin music is pop culture. Latin music is global. This moment is revolutionary. There's Bad Bunny, Becky G, Carol G, Maluma. They're so powerful around the world. We see Carol G climbing the charts, performing in Spanish. They don't even know that we were saying, but they just vibe with the music. And that's crazy, that's special, I love that. When you are bigger and bigger, people expecting bigger things, you know? Without the trailblazers, the OGs, we wouldn't be where we're at today. Tito is the godfather. Celia Cruz, hands off, it is what it is, punto. Ricky, Mark Anthony, Jennifer Lopez, Shakira, Talia. Daddy Yankee is a mastermind. I have to give so much respect to what Emilio and Gloria Estefan did in their prime. We had to work hard to convince people that our vision would work. Everything we did was worth it. Latin music has always been here. It's obviously not gonna go anywhere. We are mainstream, and we're here to stay. This is who we are. For me, I have to say, like, Latinos, we have, like, this special energy of fun and that is expressed in our music, our instruments, our culture. And right now, I feel so proud that there are like so many Latinos and we're doing big things. Latin artists are having a huge moment right now with Carol G being one of the it girls that everybody's paying attention to. She's selling out concerts. Fans are going crazy anytime she performs TQG. Provenza is also a major fan favorite with reggaeton and Afrobeat rhythms. Before, you see, like, oh, everybody was like listening to English music, even me. But right now, like, people from all over the world, they're doing that, but with our music in Spanish. This is a movement, and people is loving it. They don't even know what we were saying, but they just vibe with the music. That's special, I love that. This is definitely the first time that we've seen actual Spanish-speaking Latin artists have such a boom here in the United States. She transmits love through her music, so I guess whether you speak the language or you don't, her beat, her vibe, just her, will bring everybody and every culture together. Just llegan con letreros, como que estoy aprendiendo español con tus canciones. Something as simple as music can change so much within a society. I feel more accepted as a bilingual person here in the United States. Now my dream is coming through, like, but it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. She has 65 million Instagram followers. Not one of the top Latin artists, but one of the top artists out now. Carol G has graced so many magazine covers from Billboard to Rolling Stone. Elle. Her album was the first album by a Spanish-speaking woman to debut at number one on the Billboard charts. The collaboration between Shakira and Carol G, TQG. What a cultural moment. You have two pillars of Colombia representing women, Latinas, worldwide. 
Carol G grew up in Colombia, and music was her passion, even at an early age. My father, he always wanted to be a singer. So, like my first videos, singing with him was like when I was two years old. Carol calls her dad her first manager and has posted some of these adorable videos on Instagram. When I was 11, I knew already that I wanted to be a singer. It became like super, super fun. Selena, I have like the albums. I have everything from her, even a tattoo. As a teenager, hoping to be discovered, she posted videos of herself on YouTube singing covers like Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly. Killing me softly with his Carol G's big break was her collaboration with Nicky Jam, which was the song called Amor de Dos. She mastered her craft. She speaks what she feels. She makes girls feel that She's her best friend. You gotta go just to one of her shows and you'll notice the fandom. Tengo un público muy bonito de me escriben cosas como todos los días con problemas en su trabajo, en sus familias, con su cuerpo, con su peso, cómo se ven. Pero aquí todo el mundo se siente parte de esta familia. Her music is reggaeton, which is music that is derived from traditional Caribbean-style reggae mixed with the Spanish influences of merengue, salsa, and punta. The first Carol G song ever was Ahora Me Llama with Bad Bunny. I was just like, who's that? Her voice is sexy. <laughs> like, <laughs> who's that? To be in this major song with this major artist at the forefront makes this song great. But throughout the course of reggaeton history, women have been tokenized. All the time, like, the first thing was, oh, because you're a woman, this is not gonna work. This is not the way. You have to do it this way. But my idea of life is do what you love, and you're gonna find always a way. She's making it happen. She's opening the doors for other young women to see you belong in this category as well. I love that she's breaking barriers. The record deal that she just locked in will set a precedent for what women are able to achieve. And she's not the only one. People are able to see these numbers and the impact in artists like Bad Bunny, Carol G, Anita, and Beso Pluma. If I had to say right now, we're looking at the epicenter of this movement, hands down, it belongs to Bad Bunny. My name is like in everywhere. We can't underestimate what it means to have the biggest artist in the world, the biggest artist in the US, speaking Spanish and being really proud of it. The Grammy nomination for Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sin Ti as album of the year, it was a win just to have that representation. It's not just reggaeton music, it's also Mexican regional music as well. Mexican music is taking over right now. A lot of people in the mainstream ignored this music that was the backbone of Latin music in this country. You're seeing another side of Mexico. At one point, oh, Mexican music? Like, that's not cool. Well, guess what? Everyone's jumping on that Mexican wave right now. I can go on and on when it comes to producers, but when it comes to Latin music, you're going to Edgar Barrera, hands down. I grew up in the border, 
of US and Mexico, experiencing both cultures, listening to music in Spanish and then you know going back in school and listening to music in English with my friends. It kind of helped me in my career. Gregor Barrera is one of the most amazing songwriters out now. His market share on hits that are out are crazy. I've worked with a lot of artists, Mark Anthony, Maluma, Ariana Grande, and Shakira. I bring people to my world, to my culture. The term Mexican regional music is the term given to all these different subgenres of Mexican music that are specific to regions. There's banda, which is played with just brass instruments. There's norteño with the accordion. There's mariachi. My dad is a musician. Back in the day when, when my dad I used to do cumbia, so it wasn't very accepted. For folks that don't know what cumbia is, percussion heavy with amazing rhythms to it. Regional music used to be a very criticized genre, music that the lower class people would listen to. Our regional Mexican music was always underestimated. Grupo Frontera. Border kids. Here you have some dudes who are literally represent two different cultures and are embracing them both. Grupo Frontera, the story begins them performing for 20 people at a tire shop inauguration from my brother-in-law. Last year, I started working with them, and every song that we've done goes into the global charts. Un Por Ciento is one of my favorite songs that I've written. And I played the song, the guys just got up and said, like, bro, we're doing that song. Fast forward to uh, two weeks, Bad Bunny's producer mentioned me that Benito wanted to do something in regional Mexican, and that he loved Grupo Frontera. With Grupo Frontera and Bad Bunny on Un Por Ciento, we're breaking all the rules. We treat like an urban song. Treating it differently is what makes it special. And that song was critical to the cultural shift in Mexican music. For me, doing a cumbia with the biggest artists in the world and making it a global number one in all platforms, and for it to be the type of music that I grew up listening to, a band from my hometown, that was like a, a full circle moment for me. I'm a kid from the border. I'm proud of where I come from. For me, it's special and it's important to be part of this movement. We got that stigma out from regional Mexican music. This moment is unique because social media has played a part in being able to give more exposure to Latin music. The streaming you know, world has changed everything. There's no gatekeepers. It's the music, it's the artist, and it's the fan. Before it was really like the record labels and you had to have radio support. All you have to do is click on a playlist and all of a sudden you're listening to music from the other side of the world. The beautiful thing now is that culture is crossing over to us. Artists, they know the power of being Latin. Now, hablar español, it's hot. Talking in Spanish, it's hot. This movement is more than just music, it's representation from Latin people. It's so important to me to talk about Afro-Latino people, a toda la gente, recordarle 
que existimos, que todos tenemos historias que contar y es la manera como hacemos el mundo. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. All these beautiful things are happening and the continuing explosion of Latin music and culture. It's a perfect moment where change begins with us. This generation of artists are using their voices for political matters, for things that they really truly believe in. Como he dicho antes, ya, ya me han premiado por, por lo que hago musicalmente y que esta vez me reconozcan por, por, por otras cosas más, por, quizá por nuestras acciones. Bad Bunny is at his core an artist of resistance, and that comes from his life growing up in a colony of the U.S. under extremely harsh policies that led to the current crises in Puerto Rico, and we see how that has impacted his music. When you are bigger and bigger, people expecting bigger things, you know. El Apagón is one of um, Bad Bunny's hits, and El Apagón means the blackout. It's literally about blackouts that people suffer in Puerto Rico, and that's just gotten worse since Hurricane Maria in 2017. It was lovely to see him protesting, using his platform to rise up with other Puerto Ricans on the island. It's very important because the future of the country depends de lo que está sucediendo actualmente. Yo Perreo Sola had messages in the video like Ni Una Menos, which is a call against femicide in Latin America and the Caribbean. En el perreo no se quita, fumo y se pone bellaquita, se llama si te necesita, pero por ahora está solita, ella perrea sola. Bad Bunny sang on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show while sporting um, a t-shirt that said Mataron a Alexa, no nombre con una falda. And for him to call attention to, um, I mean, the atrocious murder of Alexa, a trans person, that was clearly, you know, powerful for him to have done. It's very important to me, like, people feel confident and feel uh, comfortable, comfortable in, in my, with my music. He didn't have to do any of that. That's what he's choosing to do as an artist. And I think it's really incredible to see that evolution and to really study and understand that historical significance. Welcome to Bad Bunny and Resistance in Puerto Rico. I'm Professor Diaz. I'm gonna assume that most of you are here because you are either Bad Bunny fans or you like something about Bad Bunny. And that's how we get you in the classroom. Bad Bunny is the hook to get into these deeper issues. We're gonna break down these lyrics and that's gonna lead us to new ways of understanding Puerto Rico and colonialism and contemporary politics. I grew up in Connecticut, so all of our history is very centralized, American-focused, white-focused. This is like a course 
about my history, about my country, where my family comes from. I wasn't prepared for how transformational it was for students. My family's from Puerto Rico, and as, as a queer person, as a trans person, going back, it feels not safe sometimes. And so to see someone like Bad Bunny, who is a global superstar, be willing to be a loud and proud voice for us is really important to me. He's a radical, he is revolutionary, and he is something that we've been needing for a long time because he is something that we haven't seen. I think what speaks true to this generation of music lovers is authenticity. And that's why they're flocking to these newer artists is because they're being their authentic selves. Latin music is identity and alegría. It's so important to me talk about Afro-Latino people and our history. This is the message of Goyo. You can be what you want to be, without importing where you come from. Artists like Goyo fill me with an intense sense of pride because of how she loves herself out loud. Putting that attitude into popular culture, especially in the Latin market, is epic because of the few instances we get in mainstream to see ourselves reflected. Goyo was one part of Chucky Town. They're an Afro-Colombian trio with roots in rap, with roots in hip hop. She is one of the very, very few Afro-Latina pop stars. Prendíamos la televisión y no veíamos gente como nosotros. Sentíamos que no nos escuchaban, que no teníamos un lugar. Chucky Town eh, fue como una plataforma para poder mostrar lo que nosotros somos como artistas, pero al mismo tiempo para mostrarle a Colombia. Somos Pacífico is iconic for me. She's one of the very few people I know that not only do music, but also take that time to, to embrace us and make us feel that we are part of her. I think it's beautiful that Goyo is now pursuing her own solo career with Na Na Na, a song about female empowerment. Estar avanzando en el mercado americano for me is so Important. Yo quería siempre que nuestro mensaje fuera un mensaje muy, mucho más mundial because throughout my history, the people can know about my culture, about Afro-Latino people. In May 2023, Goyo received the Changemakers Award, and that's a reflection of a lot of the work that she's been putting in outside of her music, the emotional labor and the intention that she's put in into really educating the industry, labels, communities, listeners on the racism in Latin America and also how we can really create change as a community. Para mí es un honor estar aquí. That moment in Billboard Award was really important. Marcó una, un momento especial en mi vida. This new generation has shifted the culture, especially when it comes to Latin music. These artists that are of the moment now, one day they're gonna be legends and pioneers and legacy artists, but if it wasn't for legends like Peter Escobedo, Tito Puente, Celia Cruz, I don't really think we would be where we're at, right? Because someone has to create the way. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. 
1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Latin music is pop culture. We are mainstream. Without the trailblazers, the OGs, the pioneers, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And in fact, this is why it's very important for this generation and the future generations to pay respect to these trailblazers. When Desir Nas performed Babalu on national television in I Love Lucy, which was the most watched television show in the United States in the 50s. It was really groundbreaking because you had a man who spoke English with an accent. He was Cuban. And the fact that audiences were loving this music. And this was a time when mambo was big. You know, Perez Prado was on the top of the Billboard charts incredibly. And this music was navigating all over the world. I think that just made it normal. Celia Cruz was this phenomenal singer from Cuba. La Negra Tiene Tumbao. Azúcar is a household classic. Guaranteed playing every weekend in any Spanish household. That is the Spanish mom's cue to get your butt up. It's time to clean. My biggest inspiration growing up in the Latino community was Celia Cruz. Hands off. It is what it is. Punto. The only black Latina, Cuban Latina, that I could see on TV that I could relate to. Like, one day I could be like her. It's hard to have a favorite song from Celia Cruz because from Kimbara Kimbara, Bemba Colora. I mean, there's so many songs from Celia Cruz, it's endless. I was a background dancer for Celia Cruz. I have those amazing pictures and memories that I'll always carry with me. Tito Puentes is a legend, right? A legend of representing our culture here and in Puerto Rico, the New Yorkans. Tito is the godfather of Latin jazz, even salsa, like playing timbales, which he is the king of timbal. He wrote Oye Como Va. I mean, that helped Carlos Santana. For those that don't know Sheila Escovito, lovingly known to the culture as Sheila E. She's an amazing singer, percussionist, who came from a family of music royalty. Born and raised in Oakland, California. Uh, upbringing was kind of crazy um, because my dad, the legendary Pete Escovito, <laughs> Um, growing up listening to my dad play every day, it was all about music, always about music and family and food. Same tempo? Same tempo. Yeah, my dad is Mexican and Cherokee Indian, and my mom is Creole. And my dad didn't speak Spanish to us at all growing up. But everyone knew, like, if you came to our house, we're playing Latin music, Latin jazz. 
you know, it was that kind of vibe, but then again, listening to all the other genres of music, it was all a mecca of just music in general. One day, my dad's other percussion player got sick, and I said, Daddy, I know the songs, can I just play? And he's like, no, 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 you're only 15, you don't know this stuff. I was like, Daddy, I know the entire record, you know? So I ended up playing and performing that night. I closed my eyes because I could hear the audience and I'm playing, my dad told me to take a solo. And as I'm soloing, I'm like, wait a minute, why am I not in my body? Why am I looking down at myself? And then I finally started to open my eyes and then I could hear the roar of the audience and then the music like getting louder and I'm like, whoa. And literally two weeks later, I went on tour with him to Bogota, Colombia. So in the mid 70s, she was already being respected as a percussionist. But Sheila E started to make a name in the R&B world when she came out with the single, The Glamorous Life. The Glamorous Life did change my life a lot. <laughs> Especially when, you know, she met Prince and she started working with them and, uh, you know, she did a hit song that went on the charts and started doing riches, started traveling, had her own band and stuff. I met him backstage in 1977 at a concert and the rest was history. I mean, then we just started hanging out like all the time. The record company wanted me to release another single that only had me singing, but I thought that that was not the right idea. You know, it's like, I'm a musician first, and I'd like to showcase that. So I did perform at Warner Brothers to explain to them, these are timbales, this is what I play. I'm a woman fronting my own band, and it's like, this is, you know, the idea of it. And then they got it. Sheila E continued to play alongside many Latin artists playing congos and timbales, but where she really grew her fame was with R&B. Back in the 80s, Latin music just wasn't marketed to the American artists. You just didn't hear it like that. I was like nine when I saw Gloria Estefan taking over the world with Conga, and I, it got me so excited, and I felt so related. I felt represented. Emilio and Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine are, they're a big outlier, because they were Cuban. They had come to the U.S. as children, you know, because of the revolution. And so they had been raised in the U.S. So in Miami, Cuban sounds were not weird. They were perfectly normal. Speaking Spanish was par for the course. Instead of doing it just in Spanish, they started doing it in English. Emilio and I were our biggest cheerleaders, but every time we would tell them, we want to do this, this is a really cool mix. It was like, eh, if you really want to break through, in a market that's not a Latin market, you gotta lose the percussion, you gotta lose the horns. Some guy even told Emilio, lose the girl singer, they don't sell. I always hoped that people would recognize good music, whether we were there or not. Mexican-American Linda Ronstadt came to us at the early age of 18 and soon became a rock and roll legend. And when I'd say I'd wanna do a song in Spanish, the record company would say, oh, it won't sell, you know, don't do it. In the late 80s, few were bold like Linda. She pushed back against the norms and came out with a Spanish album, Canciones de Mi Padre. And when I finally made about 30 records, I'm doing a record in Spanish. I just was determined to learn those songs of my childhood. 
I just thought they were such beautiful songs. If I like it, chances are somebody's going to like it. I figured I'd probably sell enough to pay for the cost of the record. That's what my ambition was. Linda Ronstein, 1987, selling over 2.5 million copies of Canciones de Mi Padre. I think just says it all. I'll make sure people figured out I was Mexican, especially if they started talking bad about Mexicans. But I think Mexican Americans have been made to feel less than and been made to feel invisible. Because I was most proud of the mariachi stuff. Gave me the best sense of satisfaction and the best pleasure. 2000 was a very exciting year for Latin music. There was this explosion of artists that were crossing over and there was a deliberate push to have them record in English and they were very successful at it. I've had a lot of people tell me that Ricky Martin's Grammy performance in 1999 has been the most life-changing performance for an artist at the Grammys, and I believe it. Everybody's sitting there like politely clapping, and then Ricky Martin comes on, and he's dancing like only Ricky Martin can dance, and people went crazy. And suddenly you had this slew of Latin talent. In the 2000s, artists that took Latin music to new heights, you had Ricky Martin, Jennifer Lopez, Mark Anthony, Enrique Iglesias. But in comparison to today, they sang in English to reach a new market. Colombian singer Shakira really propelled herself into the mainstream with her mega hit, Whenever, Wherever. I think that all of them were making a huge difference in the market because we're bringing that authenticity. In the 2000s, RBD just rode the wave of the popularity of Latin music, becoming one of the best-selling Latin music groups of all time. RBD actually got their fame after a popular telenovela called Rebelde. Rebelde become one of the strongest Latin artists in the world. We did amazing things that we can't even dream, right? We were singing and we were dancing and suddenly we were on mainstream. Trust Me is my favorite song. Like looking out as an adult, this song has a huge impact for me. The reality is, is that the opportunity to go mainstream was not equal for everybody. I recognize the success of J-Lo, of Shakira. They were on a completely different path and were celebrated for very different reasons. They're all white Latinos and, you know, the acceptance was going to be very different for them than it ever was going to be for an, a genre like reggaeton that comes from the Afro-diaspora. Basically, reggaeton is, is, is made of a beat that's called Dembo and it goes doom, kaku, kaku, kaku. And there was a Jamaican song that was called Zumbo, Dembo, Dembo, Dembo. Shaburanx did that song, and from that, every style we did in Spanish came from that influence of that particular song. In the 90s, there was the underground in Puerto Rico. 
of which these artists had the audacity to be able to voice their concern in regards to what they were experiencing. The major key players were Daddy Yankee, we had Tego Calderon, Don Omar, Evie Queen, we had Cyan Lennox, Tito El Bambino, he had their father. Daddy Yankee was on Playero, it was like the kings there. And it was like magic the first time me and him were on stage. I would say that Daddy Yankee, Gasolina, was desperately needed at that time to illustrate to the industry, this music moves people. This music is wanted. It was the song that took it to another level, the song that uh, made people in the world want to be a part of this. thousands um, there was a moment of which I would say the industry turned its back on reggaeton a bit I think the most popular story to come out of this instance is Nicky Jam quite literally pulled himself out of the the gutter dare I say um, for being an artist who was addicted to drugs who could not get out of his own way but was able to find himself in Medellin it set the tone for my career for my comeback and the gene was looking for something to feed the fire of the people, and reggaeton was that answer. In 2015, Nicky Jam took his stardom to a whole new level when he agreed to collaborate on a song with Enrique Iglesias, which was El Perdón. I was so worried that I recorded the song alone. Then the record label called me like, bro, you don't know what you're doing. Enrique's a huge worldwide phenomenon and this could be big for you. And I'm like, yeah, but then they're gonna say I'm a sellout. I have, you know, everybody from the streets liking my music. I listened to the record label, I came out with the song and it and made me into a pop star. I was trying to maintain a pop style and not being so commercial. But the reality is it, in those days it was it was it was hard. Let's say I took I took a couple of bullets for the new generation to do whatever they want to do. Year by year, the songs that you were hearing from underground reggaeton artists slowly started creeping up the Billboard charts and soon enough just became mainstream pop. I've had over 40 number ones, but uh, also more than 200 albums with, with my songs in them. As a woman, it was very challenging, I have to say. Even in the beginning of my career, I always tell people that I had to be super creative and go through the back door, because I would send songs, sang by me, to different male projects, sending the, back then, the cassettes or the CDs saying Erica Ender. The ones that at some point answered would say like, hey, thank you so much, but you know, it's too feminine. Then I had to be super creative and ask my friends, my male friends, like, hey, could you sing this demo for me? And then I would erase, you know, the rest of my name and just put E-Ender to make sure that the song would go through by itself. So in those cases, the songs made it. And then after they made it, I was like, hey, I'm a woman. <laughs> Did you like my song? <laughs> Erica Ender has worked with some amazing artists, but it was her relationship with Louis Fonzi that really changed everything. We were friends since, you know, 
I would say 10 years. One day he goes like, you know, since this morning I've been humming this melody and I've had this idea in my, in my mind. And he sings to me, despacito, split in the syllables. When we were writing those lyrics, we wanted to make sure that women will be respected, but at the same time, it would be very spicy. For example, that part where it says, déjame sobrepasar tus zonas de peligro, like let me trespass your danger zones. And also giving space to love and seduction because we're living in a world that goes so fast right now that no one really takes it despacito. Three hours later, despacito was ready. Despacito. Despacito. And then he calls Daddy Yankee. Daddy Yankee comes in and writes the rap and writes the pasito, pasito. Pasito, pasito. With the collaboration with Yankee and, and Fonsi, Bieber is the one that takes us from the, you know, 40s to number nine, to number three, to number one. And made the world, especially the US, see it and hear it from a different perspective. I feel so happy that it was that last brick needed for the world to sing Spanish, for Spanish to become mainstream, for that crossover to actually not be needed to be sang in English. This time, it wasn't one song. You know, Despacito, it's one of the biggest songs everywhere, but the reality is there was a lot more coming. As our music continues to build momentum and culture continues to push from one generation to another, you start realizing that you don't need to cross over. Before, Julio Iglesias was looking for Diana Rust to do a collab. Now there's a reverse crossover. Let's talk about Drake rapping in Spanish, right? The collaboration that Bad Bunny and Drake did together created a trend for English-speaking artists to want to seek out huge Spanish artists as well. The late-night TV shows never showed any Latin music in Spanish. Performing Estamos Bien. Give it up for Bad Bunny! We have Jimmy Fallon embracing Latin music by having Bad Bunny come on the show singing Estamos Bien, which was just a great cultural moment. Just to see that we couldn't even make it to a show in a little a small town in Puerto Rico and to see now we're doing shows like Jimmy Fallon. It's like, wow, man. The world is just one home that has different bedrooms that speak different languages. And as long as we're open to that energy, I think that everything could become mainstream now that Spanish made it in the U.S. This moment in the Latin music industry is just showing us how strong we are. And I am proud of how far we have gotten. We still have a long way to go. There's still a lot of other voices that need to be heard in the Latino community. The fact that there aren't that many black women existing in reggaeton is alarming because it is black music. 
In the music industry, we tend to see lots of genres that are grounded in histories of African cultures or Afro-diasporic cultures, like reggaeton, where even though those are the origins, we see more and more artists benefit from lighter skin privilege. I think Latin music has for years suffered uh, for a lack of black representation among its biggest stars. For a long time, there was a stereotype of what an artist should look like. The music industry needs to believe in Afro-Latino people hacer inversiones para los artistas. Entonces yo pienso que es importante que la gente que sea como yo celebremos nuestra cultura para poder abrir espacios para otros. There's a growing awareness that we need to have different faces in music and different faces being signed. The future of Latin music to me sounds, first of all, it sounds in Spanish. <laughs> Probably salsa or merengue are gonna have a comeback. Probably there, there'll be a new rhythm <laughs> coming out of nowhere. Every day our sound keeps changing. It keeps evolving. A lot of people are gravitating towards these diasporic sounds. It's just coming together from different places, different sounds, artists being able to collaborate with one another. I sit back like a proud dad, and I know all these artists that started with me back in the days, they should be proud too. This new generation, they want authenticity and an artist to be genuine. To show a little, like, realness is beautiful. The confidence through the music, the growth, the empowerment. We're no longer trying to sugarcoat things anymore. We're being honest and transparent through our music. Yo deseo que los artistas latinos que vengan de donde vengan puedan poner su música en el nivel que deseen que puedan compartirla con la excelencia que se ha hecho y al mismo tiempo seguir preservando lo que nosotros somos, contando las historias de latinos. We have shown in so many ways how great not only our culture is, but our way of seeing life. What this current revolution says about us as Americans is we come in all sizes, shapes, languages, Spanglish, English, different sabores y colores para todo el mundo. Latin music has always been here, will always be here, and every day we continue to grow. We're rhythm, we're sound, we're beats, we're soul, we're all that good stuff. We're sabor, sandunga, flavor. We got it. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>